welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, where every other week we bring you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you to help you connect with where your passion meets the world's deep need. This week on the podcast, we're talking with Winfield Bevins, Director of Church Planting at Asbury Seminary. Of course, we talk about his most recent books, Ever Ancient, Ever New, and Marks of a Movement. But we also talk about how he first fell in love with liturgy and the way it provides both framework and freedom as it adds depth, dimension, and practices that draw us deeper into our Christian faith. Let's listen. I enjoyed reading your book. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, a lot. Because it made sense, and it was on a level that I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I understand this. Yeah. And it's and it's good. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I, like, this is, it made me start thinking about my own life and church. And mm, That's you know, good. Yeah. Yeah, that's really the heart behind the book is it does have research. It does kind of look at kind of this larger movement that's happening, but I really wanted to make liturgy accessible to real people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which oftentimes the books about liturgy and sacraments and, you know, it can be so kind of theoretical and kind of pie in the sky type stuff. I wanted to really kind of bring it down in a way that's not watered down. You know, it still has the depth and research behind it. Um, But again, just making it accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Because when you say the word liturgy, I think of something I'm not going to understand. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. what is, can you define liturgy for us? Yeah, liturgies, you know, comes from the Greek word, um, the work of the people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the work of the people. Literally, it's it's what we do in worship. It's practices. It's, it's how we embody our faith. And so liturgy, um, Robert Muholland described liturgy as, and I like this definition, that it's, it involves the corporate practices of worship, but also individual practices. Mm-hmm. And essentially, liturgy is kind of like uh, the kind of the thoughts, words, uh, kind of the habits that we practice regularly. Um, you know, James K. Smith talks about cultural liturgies. Mm-hmm. That there's liturgies mm-hmm. all around the world, and we don't even think about it. Like mm-hmm. the mall, you know, can be a religious pseudo religious experience, and. <laughs> Definitely, especially the outlet mall. <laughs> yeah, you go and you know you buy something and you pay the person. And they're kind of like the priest, and you feel better about yourself for a minute, and then you're like, "Why did I spend all this money?" Right. You know? and so it's like a, a liturgy is a ritual can be a ritual that yes. we go through yeah. that has meaning Correct. that can bring us outside ourselves. So, in the religious liturgical sense, yeah, these are these are were these are thoughtful. You're saying words in response. There's words that we say together, so it has a corporate participatory mm-hmm. dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, but these prayers are just rich in theology. They're formative mm-hmm. by saying these prayers over and over. It doesn't, you know, I describe liturgies a, you know, it's a, it gives a structure, not a straitjacket. Yes. And so it gives us a framework to pray in church and to worship together, but there's also freedom and liberty. Mm-hmm. So it's not just pray these words in a book and they're these words that are written a long time ago. Um, but so, in the, you know, spontaneous prayers go along with that. It doesn't, you know, go against kind of spontaneity or freedom. Yeah. And so I've, I've found a freedom in actually having a framework to pray yeah. with. Yeah. How it gives so? you it gives you a structure. It gives you there are time well, so the individual practices would be like I think the most common is like the daily office, morning and evening mm-hmm. prayer. Mm-hmm. You can pray those with a group. Um, you know, like here at Asbury we have morning and evening prayer. You can pray those by yourself. Oftentimes mm-hmm. it's just these it provides you rhythms right. that you're joining in the prayers that the church is already praying. Right. I especially like that part in your book when you were talking about the communion. The um, I forget now if it's the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed that talks about the communion of yeah. saints. Mm-hmm. And because I like to me, I grew up in the church like it's talked about, like you know, uh, the great cloud of witnesses and the prayers of the saints. But when I read it, I was like, "Whoa, my faith is a lot cooler than I thought it was." You know, <laughs> like yeah. th- that. I guess maybe that sounds kind of 
dumb, well, but you know what I mean? It was well, like, that kind there's of, a lot more like history and nuance. Well, yeah, I think we live in such an individualistic kind of me-centered society. It's actually beautiful to realize that embracing the liturgy in many ways – you, you have the creeds that are a part of it, but by affirming these words in the creeds and by praying these prayers that other Christians are praying and have prayed for centuries, you're joining in the prayer and worship mm-hmm. of the church. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people, you know, here at Asbury, we love Wesley. You know, yes. Wesley's kind of our patron saint. Yes. Well, Wesley was an Anglican and he loved the liturgy and mm-hmm. that's what formed the faith of the Wesleys. And I tell a lot of my Methodist friends that in the liturgy, these Wesley prayed some of these exact same prayers. Interesting. So like the colic for purity, like, uh-huh. uh, you know, he prayed that prayer. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that, you know, people don't realize is like the Methodist Pentecost, you know, they had gathered together um, in, you know, this all-night prayer meeting at Fetter Lane. And it's in Wesley's journals, and you know he says we were there with West, you know Whitfield and Charles, and he mentions several others. And at three in the morning, the Holy Spirit falls on them. Wow! Yeah. And it says everyone was struck by the power of God. They fell on the floor. Wow! And guess what they do when they kind of come to their senses? What do they do? They all arise, and it says, and we we said in one voice, we praise Thee, O God. We acknowledge Thee to be the Creator. They start – it's the damn day. They pray from heart in unison spontaneously oh, wow. a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. Oh, how beautiful. That's in the liturgy. They yes. knew the liturgy that much. So here they had this charismatic experience Yeah. and they followed it up with a liturgical mm-hmm. prayer immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great example of uh, embracing the liturgy isn't anti-charismatic. I tell people I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt. Yeah, so I'm a charismatic, <laughs> low-church, Wesleyan, evangelical Anglican <laughs> with a missional twist. And and so it, it, I think it allows me to – this is kind of diverting a little bit, but I mean this might resonate for some people. It's kind of like charismatic experience and we've got a strong emphasis on spirit-filled life right now and mm-hmm. totally appreciate that. You know, I've – you know, I can experience God in the happy clappy stuff. I can mm-hmm. go there and, you know – However, one of the things that was missing for me in Pentecostal charismatic styles of worship was the contemplative dimension of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so God has Mm -hmm. introduced me to a deeper, fuller embodied encounter of the Holy Spirit that Mm -hmm. isn't just in how you feel and your emotions and goosebumps. Praise God for those mountaintop experiences. Yes, absolutely. But there's a depth and there's a contemplative dimension. Yes. That the Holy Spirit wants us to go to these deep places that move beyond emotionalism, if that makes sense. And the liturgy actually is kind of like it provides uh, the tracks that the train can run on to take you to those deeper wells. Um, And again, I I say we can embrace all of the church. Yeah. You know, and so. Yeah. When did you first fall in love with liturgy? You know, I tell people um, I was – you know, there's two kind of – there are two ways that people encounter liturgy and kind of move toward a more liturgical faith. One is by experiencing it, like mm-hmm. showing up at a liturgical church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other is reading your way into it. So like the book you just read yeah. probably sparked some like, huh, maybe I should check out the liturgy. Or, totally, this is interesting. Yeah, you know, it totally like, did. And like why – I like having communion every, you know, like because yes. some some places don't have it every Sunday, which is totally fine. It's you know, you're yeah. prefer- I know I'm not condemning any way of doing it yeah. here, but like that, and it gave it some new importance too yeah. because started thinking about like, oh yeah, this is what that means. This and, is why it matters. And when we say the yeah. Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, like just all you know, like yeah, yeah. So. um Forgot what the question was. Oh, you're good. How did you fall? Yeah, did, that's how did right. You fall in love with liturgy. Yeah, I, I again, kind of. Some people show up and experience a liturgical service, and I tell some of those stories in the book. Mm-hmm. There, um, uh, there are others that kind of read their way into it. They yeah. discover yeah. it by reading and realize that their experience of Christianity is somewhat deficient. 
Mm-hmm. That, hey, mm-hmm. I'm, maybe I'm missing some vital aspects mm-hmm. of the faith that, you know. Um, and so a lot of times, you know, I kind of came to faith at the age of 19, was, you know, got involved with missional church planting, was doing kind of – and again, I, I I work with all different types of church planters, and I love it. And it's a global context, yeah. and um, but for me, there was just this longing that there was something that was missing, and yeah. I was just increasingly drawn to historical studies. And um, my MDiv was focus was on historical theology, and so I was always looking back to draw inspiration for yeah. mission and ministry, mm-hmm. and. So finally I discovered the Book of Common Prayer, and I tell people the Book of Common Prayer is kind of like uh, – it's a bad analogy, but it's kind of like the gateway drug to liturgy <laughs> because it's it's kind of – it's accessible. It's Yeah. You know, yeah. it's – you know, people will kind of access it. So I began using it. I was like, man, these prayers are awesome. You know, yeah. this is rich. Yeah. And I had – you know, I tell people like the Book of Common Prayer sometimes is kind of like cracking the Da Vinci Code. It took me a while to like really figure out like what is mm-hmm. this thing and – and then, you know, I began to just practice morning and evening prayer and just kind of dissecting it and using it and um, and then was drawn to kind of the liturgical resources and realized that, you know, our, you know the church we had planted, we moved toward a more regular practice of the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And as, I, as I began to study and see, it was interesting because I was in a plant that became liturgical. Interesting. So the but- church – took the journey with me, if that makes sense. Yeah, tell me about that. Because I know from just being friends with you that your church, it was kind of, I think you met on the beach. It was like a surfer church, you know, (laughs) so not not what you think of when you think liturgical. So tell me about that journey. Yeah, so we started as a really kind of uber low church, you know, um, kind of surfer church, if you will, and reaching a lot of young people. And again, my experience is I was – you know, we had planted the church. All these people came to faith, and it became an issue of discipleship. Like, what am I going to teach these people who are new to the faith? And uh, one of my first books was Creed, um, which looks at the Apostles' Creed, Lord's Prayer, Ten Commandments. And I had kind of discovered catechesis. Yeah. You know, I was just like – Yeah, so tell me what catechesis is. So catechesis is basically just an ancient way of discipleship, of teaching new believers and Christians um, the basic essentials okay. of the Christian faith using just questions and answers. Okay. And through through this, you know, we discovered the creeds. And so rather than kind of coming up with a new statement of faith, as a lot of new churches do, mm-hmm. we're like, hey, why don't we adopt the Apostles' Creed? This is what Christians have always believed yeah. and affirmed. It's this short one paragraph. and yeah. And so um, these were kind of some entryways, and it was so kind of discovering the liturgy and these historic resources was really enriching for me, but for our our, our young believers. Yeah. And they saw the relevance. Like we had surfers, like and you know, one guy came to me, read this thing on, you know, Saint Patrick. You know, it, was, uh-huh. it just really touched him. You know, as a surfer, and I remember him being like, "Man, I never understood the Trinity, but you know, Patrick's you know use of the clover leaf, man, it all makes sense." You know, it's just, <laughs> I love that. And that narrative of, of the historical narratives really resonated. And the Lord sent us a couple retired priests who, you know had joined the church and I was like, man, you guys got all these robes and stuff. Why don't we start a high church service? And so here we were, this surfer church that was kind of moving in this direction and we started two services and one of them was like full vestments and robes and cool weekly communion. And so, it, yeah, it was really cool. And so the church still does that now. You That's know, awesome. It's kinda... So was that when you realized the appeal of liturgy to other people? That kind of when that – kind of started developing in you. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So it's really been the last 10 years. At first, when I started discovering liturgy, it was kind of like I'd be hiding out in like Barnes and Nobles <laughs> and kind of the, you know, the liturgical or sacramental book section. Hopefully no one would see me there, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm reading Henry Nowen. And, oh, I know, love Henry Nowen. And, and, you know, and, and so, um, what what I began to realize over the last ten years is this: there's a significant movement of younger Christians in the United States that are really hungry 
to recover historic roots. Mm -hmm. I think it's a spiritual – I think it's a renewal movement. Um, A lot of these young people are coming out of or are evangelical, coming Mm -hmm. from low church backgrounds. A lot of them charismatic, Pentecostal, Method. I mean just all all across the Mm -hmm. spectrum, Baptist, Mm -hmm. um, Assembly of God. Like it's just cross-denominational. And – what I, I, the narrative is very similar. It starts with a dissatisfaction with the current state of the church in North America. Mm-hmm. Like something's wrong with the church. Mm-hmm. And um, is it me? Am I crazy? Am I? And it's a uh, it's a refusal to. Um, the other thing that I think is driving it is a dissatisfaction with the options that the church has provided. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a progressive liberal and I'm not a crazy fundamentalist, hyper conservative. Yeah. yeah. And both of those are bad options. Yeah. And so maybe the church of the past has something to speak yeah. to the future of the church. Mm, yeah. And so this is a common narrative. It starts with one, a – dissatisfaction with the current state of the church mm-hmm. Two, and I'm, I'm actually looking at this right now as a renewal pattern of renewal. The second is a, it leads toward a looking back to church history. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And some people start with looking at the revivals. Some mm-hmm. people look at the mm-hmm. great awakenings mm-hmm. and they're looking for resources. They're yeah. like, maybe the historic church can tell me something. Then they rediscover practices and liturgy and they're like, there's actually stuff in – I call it the treasure chest of church history. It's like they open the treasure chest of church history and say, there's actually some stuff in here we can use. And Mm -hmm. so kind of the third aspect is a retrieval. They're actually taking those practices and incorporating them, living them out. And the result of that is a spiritual renewal. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a denial of the spirit or Jesus. It's actually saying we want to embrace all of it, an embodied yes. expression of the faith. Yes, and it gives you something to touch and taste and say. And yes, all, absolutely, all it, of it. It's, it's very tactile. It's very very tangible, lived. It gives you tools because a lot of young people were in churches that just heard sermons that were just like just live a good life just live a good life go read your bible you know but how do like, you do that how do i do that like you tell me to pray and read my bible well guess what christians throughout the ages have followed a lectionary reading mm-hmm. um they've followed morning and evening there here are actual days or hours of the day that you can pray Millions of Christians around the world are praying those same hours. They're praying these similar, if not same prayers as you. Wow. And so all of a sudden, you're not alone. Yeah. It's not just you just trying to do your faith and just you and Jesus. You're actually joining a community. A community and the communion of saints. Yes. You know, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, Ever Ancient, Ever New came out a few months ago. Tell yeah. us about it and why you wrote it and. Yeah, Ever Ancient, Ever New, yeah, started as a result of just observing that this mm-hmm. is happening everywhere. And so it's uh, – I did – I you know, spent I think about two years interviewing young adults across the U.S. Um, I interviewed some young adults in Canada and England as well, mm-hmm. but primarily in the United States, cross-denominational, looking at – and again, almost weekly I'll get – sometimes daily I'll get uh, students – Facebook, Twitter, you know, messages, social media, uh, some young person saying, yeah. hey, can you tell me about – I'm drawn to liturgy. I'm drawn to, you know, traditional faith and, Interest. you know, like, am I, I no crazy? And, yeah. yeah. And and so I, I, I have an ongoing database of yeah. young people that are reaching out to me. And um, so I began to observe that this is actually a significant movement that needs mm-hmm. to be documented. So the book looks at – you know, it's ever ancient, ever new, the allure of liturgy for a new generation. It, it, it's exactly that. It looks at what is what is the allure of liturgy. I tell a lot of stories. There's a lot of narrative interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically ethnographic research, yeah. to use a fancy term, <laughs> you know, of just young people and trying to tell their stories and why it matters. So section one looks at what is the liturgy? Mm-hmm. What's the foundations of the liturgy? What's the appeal? Um, so there's several chapters there. Section two looks at journeys, and I look at different ways that young people are kind of embracing lit- – I look at the high church, you know, some young people that are embracing like the high church stuff. And then I look at kind of the draw of like neo-monasticism and 
Um, you know, there's a chapter on what I call neo-liturgical churches. These mm-hmm. are like new churches that are embracing old practices, church plants. Yeah, and, that's cool. And then what was fascinating was the number of charismatics that were embraced. So there's a chapter on uh, a lot of times charismatics will use the term three streams to okay. refer to mm-hmm. evangelical, sacramental, and spirit-filled okay. or charismatic dimensions. Mm-hmm. That when they come together, it really provides a beautiful balance. Mm-hmm. And I've just been uh, just blown away at how significant that movement is. Yeah. Um, and the the last section of the book looks at practices. It mm-hmm. looks at like the real kind of rediscovery of practices, um, missional practices, daily practices, and then the, you know liturgy in the home. Mm-hmm. You know, an interesting yeah. observation was. As I visited these churches, they're just packed with young people and young families. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the young families I interviewed are drawn to liturgical churches because they're providing a holistic, embodied expression of yeah. church that doesn't segregate the family. They're mm-hmm. encouraged to learn and study together and grow together yeah. in their faith. Yeah, I like you talked about that um, where like the children may go out for their service but come back in to take communion yeah. as a whole community. Yeah. And I thought that was a beautiful beautiful It image. is. One of the things we love is we go to a church downtown Lexington and we just you know it's got kneelers and everything. We go up for communion together. We 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 take communion together as a family yeah. and it's cool. Yeah. And, so the minister there is like, man, one of, one of our favorite things when your family comes up and your girls, y'all, are yeah. all together and it's just yeah. a beautiful moment. And we really feel it. It's a real kind of spirit-filled moment where yeah. we're, we're taking communion together and we've yeah. prayed these prayers in the service and because there's these liturgical prayers leading up to the communion that really is preparing your hearts to these words. And so it becomes a real kind of beautiful experience. And so – yeah, I think that's the beauty of the liturgy. It's good for everybody. Yeah. How do your kids like it? They love it. I mean, it's really, really yeah, it's it's really neat because especially for my wife Kay, you know, she headed up the children's ministry and the church we had planted and our earlier service was the high church service. Okay. So they had never really experienced like a full liturgical service till oh, wow. we moved here. Oh, yeah. And so now I'm not up on the platform. I'm not, you know, I'm still yeah. a minister, but, yeah. you know, I'm doing but all you're this. not preaching every Sunday. I'm not preaching every Sunday. I'm not celebrating. The community. So we actually sit in a pew and worship together. And it's been pretty beautiful to kind of experience the liturgy together, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. just my faith. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a time where we all kind mm-hmm. of embrace this together. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of the Lord's Supper it's embodied. You 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 hear the gospel. You hear a sermon. Um, the church we're at has contemporary worship music. That's interesting. Good like, preaching. Yeah. But you're invited to a table. It has the liturgy, and so it's it's a beautiful balance of contemporary, old and new tradition yeah. and innovation. Yeah, yeah. How does liturgy connect us to mission? Because we've talked about a little bit about how liturgy and yep. the redemptive story and our personal growth. Absolutely. How does liturgy connect us to moving out and helping others? Yeah, so I think in, in a number of ways, but the historic liturgy, you know, comes from you know the Catholic Mass comes comes from the word misa, which hmm. means missio. Comes from missio, and so the, basically the last you know you you receive the benediction at the end, and so the priest. Would and in the Anglican liturgy, it's still Book of Common Prayer is still the same way. After that, you've come to the table, mm-hmm. um, and then you are sent out on mission. That's what the priest would say in the Latin Mass. They would uh-huh. say, "Go, you are sent." And so that's what the in you know. That. So the liturgy brings you in. Um, you you gather the structure is you gather for worship. You hear the word of God, mm-hmm. then you come and feed at the table, and then you are sent out on mission. Every week you're reminded to go, you are sent. So I, I describe it as like you're, you're, you're fed spiritually, uh, intellectually, and then missionally you're kind of sent out on mm-hmm. mission. Mm-hmm. And so the liturgy has kind of some of those components to it. Um, so we're kind of reminded of 
to join in the mission of God every week, mm-hmm. you know, through the mm-hmm. liturgy. Mm-hmm. I read this, but not everybody's read your book. So what are some ways that you found that people are connecting liturgy with their mission? Or maybe you want to talk about um, how you're connecting liturgy with yeah, your mission. I, I think one of the biggest things for me is kind of a missional thought person. Because, um, again, what's interesting is I speak in two different worlds. I yeah. I speak at a lot of church planning events and um, kind of do missiology stuff. And then increasingly, you know, I'm asked to speak and write and talk about liturgy. Mm-hmm. And I don't see those as two kind of I, I see those as actually in enhancing one another as we mm-hmm. look at the history of the church the vast majority of christians throughout the history of christianity have been sacramental liturgical tr- christians if you think yeah. of the great missionary movements uh, that have shaped the world like you know saint patrick saint francis um you know the wesleys was was an evangelical sacramental revival um and so i think one of the biggest uh, needs of the day in 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 terms of mission, church planting, ministry is those that are going into ministry are not adequately prepared mm-hmm. formationally to do the work. There's not the soul care work that is needed, and okay. so the the rise of burnout. You know, Time Magazine did a thing here recently on. Um, how you know ministry professionals are, is one of the most dangerous um, professions yeah. in terms. Of it's 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 one of the top ten ha- most hazardous professions to your <laughs> <Wow>. health. <laughs> so be warned if you're wanting to go into ministry. Uh, ministers are obese. Ministers uh, have a divorce rate as high as if not higher. Yeah. Burnout, depression, mm-hmm. um, all of these metrics. And I think there's something about the liturgy and kind of more historic traditions that anchor us in spiritual practices and okay. these historic rhythms of the yeah. church that say yeah. your soul matters. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is a part of my own journey. I was doing all this cool missional stuff, you know, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, we were planting all these churches. But yet there was this void in my soul that was longing for a deeper embodied mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know again I had charismatic experiences mm-hmm. I was evangelical missional um but I didn't have the spiritual practices to undergird yes the mission and so we have to take care of our souls and yes. our families and yes. you know we have to have a balanced and so that's where I think in the liturgy in many ways is countercultural to one, the the culture, you know, it's not faddish. It's not, um, you know, there's not a lot of smoke machines yeah. and laser light shows. Yeah. It's this is the liturgy. And yeah. the other thing is, I think the liturgical tradition is countercultural to kind of this work hard burnout approach to mission and ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not antithetical to mission. I think it's for. I see it as formation for mission. Yes. And that's for my own life. It has grounded me in the last decade yes. to be able to be, I think, even more productive in the mission and the work that I do for God rather than less productive. Yeah. I like what you said, um, how it's countercultural. And in your book, you talked about how liturgy is countercultural to consumerism. So the example you gave at the yeah. beginning about we go to the mall and we feel better about ourselves, but it's not a lasting feel yes. feel better. You know, and I I like that because for me, like, I don't even realize sometimes I'm caught up in consumerism and wanting the next thing, you know, but being like grounded in something really appeals. To, and it it makes the uh, I think in terms of the worship experience, so much of contemporary Christianity is consumer driven. If, yeah. if we're really, oh, honest. it totally is, and it's like. Um, you I know, come to make me feel entertainment good every Sunday. Yeah, the yeah. words, the songs are all about how I feel. Like, God, I feel like worshiping you. You know, like really, yeah. no, we worship God because He is yeah. sovereign and beautiful, and you know. Yeah. Um, and so the liturgy is it, it's God centered, not not you know human centered, and so it, it points us to God rather than ourselves. And in, in that sense, it helps deliver us from ourselves. Yes. And we yeah. need that. We need to. That's what the church service should do. 
it should be the one hour of the week where we get our attention off of ourselves and our social media followers and yeah, you know, how many likes of, we have. Yeah, and, <laughs> and all yeah, all that stuff to really just say, you know what? What I love is there's this whole move. Um, I've seen articles here recently on mega churches that are embracing liturgy, which is really fascinating. Really, that is fascinating. And, and you know, large churches that are moving away from screens and um, oh, I like that. going back to just print and prayer books and and so like our church. They stopped using screens a year or so ago. First, it was like, "What happened yeah, to the screens?" Weird, yeah. And you know, um, and and so it's it's kind of like, how beautiful is that? Like one hour a week, you're not like watching a screen. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it could be like deliverance for some people. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I like how you talk about rhythm like having a rhythm of life mm-hmm. why is that so important to because i was thinking about your soul care practices why is a rhythm of life and yeah. having that so important yeah i th- again i think so many of us are just swept into the current of culture and we live in a rootless rhythmless world you know and if you don't have a rule of life and, and rhythms and practices to follow you'll just you know, you'll just be swept along the Mm -hmm. current. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have to constantly, um, because I am engaged on social media Mm -hmm. and I travel and speak and write and like, one of the practices I put into place um, about two years ago is I leave my computer at the office when I go home at five. And I, so, I mean, you could look on here on my phone. I had um, about a year to go, this is when I was still working with Ross, like I had um, email taken off of my phone and yes. Safari taken off of my phone. Um, yeah, to, it frees you up. It, yeah, because what what I notice is, you know, even though I didn't have the computer at the house, what that allows me to do is, one, is when I'm home with my family, I'm present. Mm, There's a yes. difference in being present and being present, yes. you know. Yes. And so by – these are things that I've – done to help me really be there and Mm -hmm. to be present to the work that I'm doing. Uh And in no way am I perfect at it. I'm still, you know, constantly struggling to like, you know, keep rhythms and patterns. But it's it's almost like you have to fight for your soul. And we need as much advocacy and we need as much support as we can get. And these ancient rhythms give us that. And these are rhythms and these are patterns and practices that Christians have followed throughout the ages. And so it's kind of reaching back in order to kind of be anchored in the present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we live in such uncertain, really crazy, schizophrenic time. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we got to anchor our faith somewhere. Yeah. And um, and I, I I don't think there's any better place than to anchor it in. Here's what the church has always believed. Here mm-hmm. are practices that have mm-hmm. upheld the church throughout the centuries. And of course, there's there's good, bad, and ugly in church history. I'm not advocating you know the Crusades or anything like that. Yeah, but yeah, of course. If if there are best practices that we can learn for how Christians mm-hmm. have been made and formed mm-hmm. for for decades and centuries, like, bring it on. Like, yes, we need that for today. What are some practices that, like, I could start implementing um, liturgical practices in everyday life? Absolutely. I think the easiest is um, uh, our publisher Seedbed. um, I've published a number of simple resources. So I've got a – it's called the Field Guide for Daily Prayer. It's a little red prayer book and a Mm -hmm. lot of people – it has sold thousands of copies. Churches hand them out to new newcomers. Church plants hand them out to visitors and it's really neat to see where it's ended up. Um, But it's a simple morning and evening prayer in contemporary English and it's a little scout book size. So you can put it in your back pocket. Yeah. And it has morning and evening prayer, which is kind of a, a personal liturgy, if you will. It's just mm-hmm. simple prayers that can be prayed in the morning mm-hmm. and at the close of the day. I love and, that. And then in the end of it, there are really some of my favorite prayers of the saints and, uh-huh. and colics of the church. And so it's just a neat little, very accessible. I've had a lot of people have told me that that's 
really has helped give them some just simple. So I think that's the best place to start. Yeah, is, and it helps you focus too, because that's something I really struggle with. Yes. If I'm, I you know sometimes pray for this or that or you know whatever how we all yeah. do. Yeah. Like I try to do it in the morning. Don't yeah. always make it, yeah. but I try to. But I think that would be super helpful to be like, I have words to say. Yes. That get me to the throne of God. And, and there are times – this is the other reality. There are times when you don't feel like praying. Right, and or you times don't know what you, to say. Yeah, and, and these prayers uh, give – there's a richness, there's a theology, and there are many times where the words of those prayers have given me the language that I've needed. Yes. Yeah. And, and I advocate in there like toward the end, you follow these prayers in this format. But then you know, I say, you know, take – Take a few minutes and just let the spirit lead you. Yeah. You know, pray yeah. for the world, pray for your family, you know, yeah. pray for, you know. Yeah, totally. And so there's a newer version that's a little bit larger that actually has a little prayer journal in the back of it. So you can write down that's... prayer needs and um and I just came out with a family prayer book that kind of matches it, but it's more oh, designed I love for, this. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the, the it's a little bit simpler of a mm-hmm. language to mm-hmm. where you could pray it as a couple, you could pray it with kids. Um and again it has Prayers for different seasons, like prayer when you get a new pet, or yeah. you know, there are prayers in there like pray for a new home, and you know. Oh so yes, I love little that. Little things like that. Okay, so everybody listening, we are going to link this in the show notes, okay, so yeah. that you can find. All, we'll link it to this, and then Winfield has some other books that I know about um, that he's published, like Creed and different other ones. So we'll link all of that in the show notes too, so you can find them and maybe get a copy for yourself. So, um, so my next question is. So we have these words that people have prayed for years, um, but I know for me, like they can just become words, yeah. you know, and they can in themselves become just something that I'm going through the motions. Yes. How can we keep that from happening? Well, again, it's it's kind of like um, it's what you bring to it. Um, you know, if you bring a lively faith, um, those words. You know, Scott McKnight wrote the forward to the book mm-hmm. and. His experience of the liturgy, he said, when when my born-again faith – I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, uh-huh. when my born-again faith met the words of the liturgy, you know, the result was dynamite, uh-huh. you know. Um, and that's kind of how it is. And I tell people – I actually just spoke at a conference on this where I just encourage people that – kind of a similar thing, like don't uh, – you know, I'm not advocating for liturgical idolatry. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I am saying is bring your evangelical or charismatic faith to the liturgy, and it just enhances mm-hmm. the lively faith that's already there. Yes. Yeah. And so there – again, there are times – bring it back to like a born-again or charismatic Holy Spirit experience. There are times when the feelings wear off. Yes. You don't always feel it. That and, used to be a huge struggle because I was like, I don't feel like a Christian yeah, today. And, and so, you know, I've heard people say, fake it till you make it. <laughs> I don't like faking it. I'm yeah. like, oh, like yeah. is something wrong with me and, today? And so the liturgy has given me the support when I don't feel it yes. and I'm not feeling it. Yeah. And so, again, the liturgy's not a substitute for spirit-filled or spontaneous prayer, but together um, it just it, – it, it, creates kind of this richness, this fuller kind of embodied mm-hmm. prayer life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things you said toward the end of your book in the chapter, Bringing Liturgy Home, yeah. you quoted, you were talking about how a bowl of soup or a grilled cheese sandwich can become sacramental if it's made and received with love. And you quoted Andre Dubois. Am I mm-hmm. saying that right? Yeah. Do you yeah. remember this part? Yeah. I mean- yeah. He was, um, I believe, a paraplegic. Okay. And had a daughter and uh, was a Catholic writer. But basically for him to even make a uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich took so much effort. Yeah. And the experience of that for him was I can see this as a struggle or I can see this Mm -hmm. as a kind of a beautiful expression of God is with me in the moment and what I'm doing. And and so finding God in the ordinary moments and the ordinary – Things of life, I think, yeah. is is a beautiful concept. Well, it was a big encouragement to me because when he was talking about even if making the sandwich is harried or tired or impatient love, but with love's direction and concern, love's again and again wavering and distorted focus on goodness, then God's love too is in the sandwich. 
And I just thought, I just thought, wow. Like, it was an encouragement for me because, um, like, sometimes I make our lunch for work. Sometimes mm-hmm. Wes makes our lunch for work. And yeah. last night I was making it, and I was, I was kind of like, why do I have to do this tonight? Like, <laughs> you know, but yeah. so it was an encouragement to me that love was still in that sacrament and that making of it. Is that right? Like, is that? Yeah, I think that's a great, there's, again, the whole idea Because it was still of, there. I just didn't feel All of life much. is liturgical if you think about yeah. it. You know, you know it's kind of like every church has a liturgy. It's Is it a good or a bad liturgy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's some yeah. bad liturgies I've seen. But it's, again, if you apply this to your, we're creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. And, um, are we doing what we're doing in loving attention? Yeah. And and so it's it, it's a call to intentionality yeah. to an uh, you know kind of an incarnational view of everything we do is unto the Lord you yeah. know, as the scriptures say. And so if you think of like those little rituals that we do day in and day out, um, they have liturgical value to mm-hmm. them. Even if you don't always have the feelings, you're yeah, still exactly. like, doing yes. it. You, yes, you still do that. And so it's kind of like you get up and brush your teeth, go to work. You know, there are <laughs> these little things. But how we do it, the intention with it, and it, all of that matters. Mm-hmm. And God uses those little things of life. And one of the things I'm exploring, um, I did a webinar for Fresh Expressions on liturgy that inspires mission. Oh, and so yeah. one of the things I'm thinking through is – the structure of the liturgy, how can that inspire and actually give us a framework for how we live the rest of our lives? Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. What are you finding out? Well, like even like gathering neighbors, you know, the liturgy, you gather. There's a fourfold structure of the liturgy. You gather, then you hear stories. You hear the reading of scripture. You hear a sermon. There's sharing of stories. You think of like the road to Emmaus, um, the disciples didn't know Jesus. Jesus came and walked with them. And that's another analogy. And before Jesus preached to them, he just listened to them. So they sh- they're like, haven't you heard? You know, like we've lost our Lord. And, you know, so they share their brokenness. And then mm-hmm. and Jesus opens the word to them. Yeah. And then he takes them to the house and he breaks the bread and it says their eyes were opened. And then he disappears and they said, did not our hearts burn with us as he spoke the word to us on the road? Mm-hmm. And I think these things give us a framework for like even opening up our home and inviting others in, sharing stories, sharing a meal. And the meal is is kind of sacramental and not like a, you know, not, not like an official sacramental, but right, right, right. it you know, sharing the dinner table is a profound we need to recover the sacramentality of the dinner table, yes. you know, and there's no more missional place than the home, the heart, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so in that, we bless people around the table. And so I think the structure of the liturgy can inform how we can invite our unchurched neighbors into our homes and love mm-hmm. them and share our faith with them in a way that's just normal. We're yeah. sitting around a table. We're yes. sharing stories, yes. you know. Yes. So that's one example of yeah. kind of my thoughts. And Yeah. But. So what else is next for you? Well, um, I've got a – Book another book coming out with Zondervan um, in this fall in September, uh, which I don't know when the pos- podcast will be coming out. Okay. But it's called Marks of a Movement: What okay. the Church t- Can Learn from the Wesleyan Revival, and it looks at kind of recovering the movemental dynamics of mm-hmm. early Methodism. Mm-hmm. And again, you, similar is one of the greatest movements the world, the Western world, has ever known. Mm-hmm. And those outside of Wesleyanism don't even know about it. But yet so yeah. much of you know modern Christianity in the West that is missional actually draws um, from that heritage, whether they're reformed or whatever the mm-hmm, background, they mm-hmm. don't even realize – like yeah. you know, the emergence of small group ministry, yeah. lay ministry, mm-hmm. women in leadership. Like Wesley was kind of the innovative thinker yeah. that kind of opened these pathways. The groundbreaker, yeah. And just was a trailblazer in so many ways. And so the argument of the book is like we need another movement in the West. Mm. And yeah. we hear about what's happening globally. Yeah. And there's unbe- – God is moving in unbelievable ways throughout the global church. Um, but so much of that is is non-translatable because of crossing cultures and boundaries. Like I think one of the great examples for us, if we wanted to see a movement, would be looking at the Wesleyan revival through those lenses. Cool. 
So well, that's what the book does. Oh, yeah. well, I'm excited about yeah. that. I'm excited about it too. It's and you know, it's it's funny because in some ways it's really different than this book on liturgy, uh-huh. but but what I would say is thematically, they're both calling the contemporary church to look to the past um, for mm-hmm. the future, which mm-hmm. is kind of a Robert Weber quote. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. kind of the road to the future runs through the past. And that's kind of my total philosophy and thought around this is I think there are these riches and wisdom that we can rediscover. Yeah. So that's the next book. And I'm kind of look well coming out. With. I'm excited about that, and I look forward to it. Maybe we'll have to have you back on to talk about. We'll do that. another podcast. Yeah, though, we will. So. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> Thanks for coming by, Winfield. As we wrap up the podcast, we have three questions that we okay. like to ask everybody. So um, they can be as serious or as fun as you want them All to right. be. So, what is one practice? It can be spiritual or otherwise that is helping you thrive right now. One practice. Um, I think, you know, I I mentioned the computer. I think I'm trying to find ways to really, when I'm at home, to just be at home. Yeah. I think, I think people's souls depend on that. And man, I'm just thankful that I get to enjoy, you know, I've got three young daughters and I just, you know, my youngest, man, we build fairy cafes and like, it's, you know, yeah. We just have so much fun and that's good for my soul. And so I would say unplug from technology, you know, regularly and just spend time with those that you love. Make sure that you're kind of, you know, giving significant time to those relationships that matter most. So important and so easy not to do because we're fighting against it to We're swimming against the current. Yeah. 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 What's, what are you reading right now? Wow, what am I reading? You might be reading lots of things. <laughs> I'm reading a ton of stuff. Um, I'm I'm also in the middle of a PhD at Aberdeen University. Oh, okay. Um, so you're reading a lot for school too. <laughs> yeah, I I got uh, Matthew Sleese's latest book. I'm excited to dig into. It's called Reforesting Faith. Oh yes. And on a personal level, I'm really kind of engaging. You know, like what am I doing to take care of the environment? And yes. You know, I, I really have been burdened over the last few years about environmental stewardship and creation mm-hmm. care. And that's an area that Christians are sadly poorly oblivious yes. to. And I think Christians more than anyone on the planet should care yes. about God's creation. This yes. is God's masterpiece and we're destroying it and at an unbelievable rate. Um, some British researchers just came out with a research that shows um, – you know, within I think the next 10, 20 years, nearly a million species are on the brink of extinction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, That's crazy. We're destroying the planet, and it's happening at, at just such a. So, uh, so I'm reading these. There's several books that I'm reading that are kind of connecting with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kind of. So I'm trying to just be an informed Christian about the yeah. environment and yeah. my responsibility. Cool. This is not one of the three questions, but what are you getting your PhD in? Um, kind of a similar thing. I'm looking at the re, uh, the recovery of church tradition among evangelicals as a spiritual renewal movement. Okay. So basically my thesis is I think it's a revival that's happening uh, that follows similar patterns. So mm-hmm. the dissatisfaction, the rediscovery yes. of history, mm-hmm. retrieval and mm-hmm. renewal is kind of a part of that process. And I love that. We're definitely going to have to get you back on here like, yeah, to talk about it's this. It's fascinating. And so I'm studying with um, kind of one of, Ingl- one of the UK's kind of leading renewal revival scholars mm-hmm. on this area. And it's it's uh, it's really – yeah. So I'm really excited on a on a practical level. Yeah. Like it, it kind of it's verifying at a deeper level some of the stuff I wrote in yes. that book. Yeah. Yes. So, what's something that's still on your bucket list to do? Wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I what is on my bucket list to do? That's you, you should have emailed. <laughs> Sorry, I should have emailed you the three you questions. You should have emailed me in advance. You know, I um. I like the surprise factor. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally – yeah, I mean there is bucket list stuff. Um, you know, I, I I really have been blessed. Um, a lot of the – every goal that I set out coming out of college, mm-hmm. I have accomplished, you know. That's and, cool. And so, um, you know, there are places in the world. You know, I love global travel. Mm-hmm. I love, 
you know, just interacting with yeah. others, you know, from the global church. And so I'll be going to Thailand for the first time next year. Oh, how fun you know? is that? And so there, there are places that I really would like to, to be. I, well, here's a bucket list, and this is something I'm really working toward. Yeah. I, I go to England every year. I do a lot of work with, um, you know, leaders in England. And I have a goal in the next couple of years to take my entire family with me. And oh, they will I, love that. So I feel like I'm always coming home from these great trips and being like, oh, I went to this cathedral or I went yeah. here and ate this food and uh-huh. I show them pictures. But they never get to experience that with me. Uh-huh. So I would love and have as a bucket list. Actually, that is my number one goal um, is I'm, I'm building all my points you know, toward my flights to really – Try to get my family over there yeah. in the next two to three years, and I'm almost there. I've got I've got enough miles for two free flights, and so if I tie it to an event that I'm doing some training at, maybe, um, you know. So anyway, that's that's what yeah. I'm working toward. That's awesome. So yeah. thanks for coming by, Winfield. I've really enjoyed our conversation, yeah, and so I enjoyed reading me. your book. So yeah. all right, thank you so much. Thanks. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Winfield Bevins. Just so grateful for Winfield, his leadership, and his vision for the church. I love learning more about the liturgy and look forward to implementing some new practices in my own life. I hope you enjoyed it as well. In our next episode, Reverend Carolyn Moore, church planner and lead pastor of Mosaic UMC in Georgia, joins us to talk about the intricacies of faith, calling, and how she became secure in her identity in Christ as a woman, pastor, and artist. New podcast episodes release every other week, and you won't want to miss out. Subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. You can also follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.